0: Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning will come from John chapter 20, verses 6 through 9. John chapter 20, verses 6 through 9. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen clothes laying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. What a beautiful Sunday morning it is to be gathered to worship God, and I appreciate the presence of all of you, although we recognize as Ray has already mentioned that uh, our audience is even more dispersed this morning since we have people here in the building we have people worshiping joining us online for worship and then we've got a little over a hundred away in atlanta i guess it is still isn't it where the lads to leaders convention is going on so please pray for them because if you have not driven in atlanta traffic you know that they need to be prayed for and uh we hope they'll get home safely delighted to see all of you here this morning we appreciate so very much your presence because that is indicative of your spiritual interest. You know, i just thinking that University Church is blessed on so many different levels. And one of them is that when our three regular song leaders uh, can't be here all at once, that happens very seldom. But if all of them are, are gone for whatever reason, we only have 40 guys that can still lead singing. And uh, Ed is one of those. And thank you, Ed, for directing us in our singing this morning. You know, there are a number of aspects of the Christian faith that are admired by people who themselves are not Christians. Even though they might not profess any faith at all, they will acknowledge, at least some of them will, that there are things about and and, and tenets of faith that they very much admire and respect. One example of that is the forgiveness that's preached and practiced in the lives of Christian people. There are a lot of people that don't attend any church, but They still admire that doctrine of forgiveness that's believed by God's people. Many people admire and appreciate prayer. And and some who don't purport to believe in God themselves will request prayer of those who they purport to be faithful Christians. I've had that happen. People who have no faith at all will still ask for for me to pray for them. Most people, it seems, stumble, however, over the point that, that Jesus of Nazareth... A human being who lived some 2,000 years ago actually rose from the dead. That's the stumbling block for a lot of people when it comes to the matter of will we embrace the faith of Christianity. They correctly assume that Christianity either stands or falls on the doctrine of the resurrection. And so I'd like for us to think about that for a few moments this morning. I appreciate very much the fact that Kyle has pointed out that another wonderful blessing of being a part of the Lord's kingdom is we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord every first day of the week. And so we don't isolate it just to just one Sunday morning. But I like to talk about what people are thinking about. And so it's never wrong to preach on the resurrection, and so that's what we're going to be doing this morning. And I hope we'll be thinking about some things maybe that, that you never thought about before, or at least that you've never thought deeply about. There are a lot of people who admire many things about the church, as we just noted, but that when it comes to this, this, this one holy doctrine preached by the church that... That a man by the name of Jesus actually came back from the dead, that's just a little too far out for some people. Just a little too difficult for them to believe and to embrace. Many see uh, the resurrection as something that it's, it's fun to pretend about, especially around Easter time. But it can't be taken seriously, at least in, in their thinking, especially in this day of science and adva- advanced medical technology. So I, I want to kind of play the devil's advocate for just a moment this morning. And let's ask this question. What if the resurrection did not happen? You know, there's a fundamental question being asked by many, and that is what difference does it make whether we believe in the resurrection or not? There are some, in, in fact, who, who, who go to seminaries who still believe that there is no resurrection, and, and they will contend and they will preach from their pulpits that it doesn't really matter as long as you have the, the faith Whether there is a fact backing your faith or not is inconsequential. And I've said before and I say it again. If there were no resurrection fact, there would be no resurrection faith. And I think we're here this morning because we understand and appreciate that. But whether Jesus arose from the the grave or not is a matter upon which each of us must give our close attention. There are some who say, I really don't see how it changes anything in my life. Uh, I don't think that it's really relevant to to my day-to-day living. There are those who believe that. But it's obviously a crucial question. What if Jesus came to this earth? He lived about a third of a century, and then he died on Friday on a cross. And then the Romans buried him in a tomb somewhere in Jerusalem. Think about this for a moment. What if he is still in that tomb? What if Jesus did not rise on Sunday morning before the sun came up? Uh, That's a question that every modern person must ask themselves. By the way, it was also asked in Bible times. Paul writes in that great resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you've got your New Testament open, you might want to turn to that passage. We're going to be alluding to it a number of times in this lesson. Now, Paul could have ignored the question, "Does, does the resurrection make any difference at all in our lives? And he could have chosen something else to fill the space that we know of as the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. But that's not how God does things. God always addresses issues head on. And the resurrection is no exception. Bible doesn't play ostrich and stick its head in the sand pretending that no one will ever ask an important question like that. In fact, as early as the 40s, 50s, and 60s A.D., people wondered, and many of them asked out loud, What if Jesus did not rise from the dead? In fact, if you look in verses 12 and 13 of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Paul's argument then is if there is no general resurrection, if it is not possible that anyone could be raised from the dead, then obviously the conclusion, the logical conclusion is that Christ himself was not raised. Think about that for a moment. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then Christianity is, a, is just a waste of time. That's, that's Paul's argument. He's, the world is saying it's only a pipe dream. The world tells us that it's, that it's no more than wishful thinking. Think about how we come into the building on Sunday morning. Not just this one, but every Sunday morning. And we gather around the table as we've just done. We eat the unleavened bread. We drink of the fruit of the vine. And we believe it, it all makes a difference in our lives. Or else we would be someplace else on a beautiful Sunday morning. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, and if his faith has no basis in fact and no fact in history, then the whole thing that we're believing is, is really just a joke. And it's a bad joke at that. In fact, there are a number of implications if the resurrection didn't happen, there are some logical conclusions that will that we'll follow. And I want us to notice just a few of those as we study this morning. The first of which is, if, if there is no resurrection, if Christ didn't walk out of that tomb on Sunday morning, then the Bible itself is unreliable. Because it attests over and over again, in fact and in principle, that that's exactly what Jesus did. For example, everything in the Bible has to be seen as really irrelevant to, to real living. The writings of the scriptures are are really useless if the resurrection didn't happen. A lot of people, once again, who don't even purport to be Christians themselves, admire certain segments of the Bible and the New Testament in particular. There are a lot of people who admire, for example, the Sermon on the Mount. They appreciate the golden rule. They will acknowledge that, hey, that's a good way to live. That's the way people ought to behave. We ought to behave in such a way that we are considering other people's interests even above our own. And so people who never have read the Bible will certainly agree with that concept. They admire the way the Sermon of the Mount strips away the hypocrisy of, of the religious pretender and the way Jesus will not put up with any kind of religious pretense. And they appreciate people who are authentic and sincere and real and genuine and committed to what they believe. But still, If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then we're going to have to take the Sermon on the Mount and we're going to have to put it out on the curb with the rest of the trash because this Jesus who was not raised, this imposter, is the one who taught it. And if the credibility of Jesus is destroyed as the Son of God, then everything that he has ever said is also destroyed. Or maybe consider 1 Corinthians 13, that wonderful chapter, on the subject of love, think of the 13 verses of that chapter, and that I think we all have to acknowledge as a Bible student that that's just one of the mountain peaks of inspiration that we have in Scripture. And it teaches above everything else in life that unselfish love is the greatest thing that a person can ever practice or possess. But if Jesus didn't arise from the grave, then we can forget about it. And for pity's sake, we need to stop reading it in our wedding ceremonies. Because the Bible says that Jesus Christ is our most outstanding example of unselfish love. And then John in his first letter says that that God himself is love. He is the epitome, the essence of what real love is. The very concept of love is personified in, in a holy God. All of those things are linked together. So if Jesus did not rise from the grave, then even the Old Testament, with all of its dreams and its hopes and its promises... It's simply reduced to dusty, archaic literature. You could read your Old Testament if you want to, some purport, but it's, not like, it's like reading nothing more than Grimm's fairy tales. So if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then we can forget about the Bible and everything it stands for and all it teaches and all of its values because once again, it either stands or falls on the reality of Jesus walking out of that tomb on Sunday morning. Second, If Jesus wasn't raised from the grave, then we're guilty. I mean, every single one of us. Everything that we've ever done wrong is still laid to our charge. And there is no hope of ever being forgiven. Think about that for a moment. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then we as a people have absolutely no hope for release from from fear and sin in our lives. And from the guilt that that sin brings. Forgiveness is just a meaningless expression and all the sermons ever preached on love and forgiveness all add up to 0.00 if Jesus did not rise from the dead it means that we're not forgiven it means that the world is right we'd better be looking out for number one we'd better get to the top of the heap any way we can right now in our lives because only the strong survive and the world is right about its perspective on life It also means we better spend some serious time making some money. Because the bumper sticker was right all along. He who dies with the most toys wins. And it means that we're locked into our past to all of its guilt, to all the fears of the world. And and we better get very concerned as to whether we're going to be blown to smithereens by a nuclear warhead. All of those things that you and I can deal with and can put in perspective and into the framework of faith become a major issue again if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead. We've got a lot to fear. And again, we're locked into the past that we have to admit that we will never successfully escape. Third, if Christ wasn't raised, there is no hope. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then no one on earth, on earth has any hope beyond the cemetery. It means that life is just pretty much like Bertrand Russell, probably one of the most renowned, well-known Agnostics who ever lived, and he was very outspoken about his lack of faith. And here's how he describes life. And it's a very brief statement, so hang with me for a moment, but it comes from his book entitled A Free Man's Worship. I think even the title of his book is somewhat ironic, don't you? A Free Man's Worship. Here's his perspective on life as as an unbeliever. And I'm quoting: The life of man is a long march through the night. Surrounded by invisible foes, tortured by weariness and pain, toward a goal that few can ever hope to reach, and where none may tarry long. One by one, he continues, as they march, our comrades vanish from our sight, seized by the silent orders of omnipotent death. Brief and powerless is man's life." End quote. Kind of makes you want to fall on something sharp, doesn't it? But that's the perspective. That is the honest framework of someone looking at life without any hope. Said another way, not only is it impossible for any of us to live in hope, we're all doomed to live in, 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 in despair, just like Bertrand Russell did. Fourth, if there is no resurrection, then no one really cares about us. It really didn't happen. If it didn't, then God doesn't love us at all. And the golden text of the Bible itself is invalidated. God so loved the world. It means that the real needs of human beings, the, the, the things that we experience, all add up to a big fat nothing. And I remind you that a nothing is a zero with all the edges trimmed off. That's the only hope we have. There's no prospect for the future. There's no hope for a better life after this one if Jesus didn't walk out of that tomb. And it means the statement that God loves me is not worth the paper it's printed on. And it means the biblical statement that God loves you and that he's concerned about you and about what's going on in your life has no more credibility than if it came from some other source of dubious character. We can't go on unaffected and unchanged if Christ didn't walk out of the tomb. The bottom line is if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead some 2,000 years ago on a Sunday morning, then Christianity is the greatest, the biggest fraud that has ever been conceived of. It's the biggest joke that men have ever come up with. And it means all of us had better get out there and find other ways to get to the top of the heap. And we better get there as quickly as we possibly can. On the other hand, what if it did happen? Think with me for a moment about the possibility, the probability, the reality of the resurrection. What if Jesus really did rise from the grave? What of the statement, it may be Friday now, but Sunday's coming, is the greatest premise upon which a person can build their lives? What, what difference does it make? And what, is it, what if it's really true that the two greatest questions that a person will ever ponder are, number one, was Jesus really raised from the dead? And number two, what are you going to do about it? Those are the greatest questions that we can ever possibly think about if Jesus really did rise from the grave. You know, there are a number of things that it means if he did, in fact, come out of that tomb on Sunday morning. First of all, it means that that Jesus is still alive and well. And that's the most obvious one. But that's where we need to begin. Jesus is still alive and well. And when he was nailed to that cross and when he was put into that tomb, that was not the end of the story. If they they put him in the tomb on Friday and on Sunday morning he had risen with a new life, then it's obvious that he's still alive today, just as the Bible says. It means he's still around. It means that he's still available and he's still accessible to his people and that means a lot to those of us who are believers. It means he's still with us and it means that he's still ruling and reigning at God's right hand and he is still a person, a a, a deity of infinite power. And it means his promises are valid and that they will be kept and it means he's still alive and doing very very well. If Jesus actually rose from the grave it means that he's able to come to a person who is guilt-ridden, a life that has a, a bad self-image because of the infiltration of sin in their life, and he can say to that person, "Listen, I can release you from your guilt, fr- from being locked into the past, and I can free you from the fear that dominates your every decision and your every thought. I can liberate you from that. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free." John eight thirty two still says. And not least of which, it means that he is alive and he is still meeting people's real needs. Here's a second implication. If Jesus did, in fact, rise from the grave, it means that the Bible is true and valid. We touched on the other side of that coin a moment ago, but think about that. If Jesus did rise from the grave, it means that the Bible is true. It means that this book is not like just any other book. It's not a hoax. It is not a collection of myths and fables. It says something that is true, and I mean verifiably true. And we can be forgiven of our sins. And we can tap into a power that is beyond our own life simply by opening and reading and obeying this book. It means that there is a truth out there. And that truth is available, and it is practical, and it is absolute. And it's also universal. By that, I mean it worked 2,000 years ago. It worked 1,000 years ago, and it can still work today. It means that timeless, revealed truth offers hope and forgiveness, and it gives us direction, and it gives us purpose. And since the Bible is true, the following things also need to follow. Consider these, and this lesson will be over. First of all... If Jesus was raised from the dead, that means that the Bible is true and what it says about him is also true, then the first implication is that that means that our lives are going to be different. You see, this isn't just a history lesson, it isn't a just a how do, you, how do you, your personal preference, how do you feel about the resurrection? It's a matter of examining the evidence and then drawing those conclusions that the evidence demands and then building our life based upon the evidence. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things that are not seen. Hebrews 11 and chapter, chapter 11 and verse 1 certainly attests. So it means, uh, among other things, uh, our, our lives are going to be different and our relationships are going to be different. If you don't think that people in the world and people in the church have different kinds of relationships, you need to think again. The Bible tells us that in principle, and sometimes it tells us that in just in-your-face kind of fact. It tells us, for example, in Ephesians chapter 5, that our marriages will be different because of the relationship that Christ had with his own church and how deeply he loved that church and how that husbands ought to love their wives in the same way. Marriages are going to be different if we believe that Jesus walked out of the tomb, amen, when we understand that. And when it comes to making a practical application of that in our lives, all of our relationships are going to be different. It it means that if I get to the point in my life where where I feel isolated, I feel lonely and fearful, when we're afraid to be our real selves and for for people to know who we really are and what's going on on the inside, then we're offered a, a whole new family of people that we know of as God's eternal kingdom. Who also believe the same thing about Jesus walking out of the tomb. And and we can have relationships with those very people. And we can even come to the point of intimacy in those relationships where we will call one another sister and brother. And that means something. Because we know that we are a part of God's forever family. It means when we face problems, we can go to other Christians and we can talk about those problems and they will listen with a sympathetic ear. It means that there are people with whom we can pray. It means that we can be loving to people that we've never known before. It means that we can learn that that the meaning of greatness is measured in our service to other people by, by washing their feet, as it were, rather than climbing over them and on them in order to get what we want out of life. It means that we're free. That we have hope. And it means that we can find a life of significance and gratification and meaning in serving other people, even though the world may never really understand that. And it means that we can look at our children and we won't misuse them, we won't beat them, we, don't, we won't even verbally abuse them, but we can see them as, as gifts that God has given to us as moms and dads so that in a few years, we can give them back to God. And it means those relationships between children and parents are going to be much different. And they're going to be much better. And you may be thinking, but I know some Christian homes that are, that are in shambles right now. Well, that doesn't mean that all of us apply what we know. But the information is there. The guidance is there for us to be the best possible moms and dads that we can ever be. Second, it also means, and this is a big one, And if we had a lot of time, I'd spend some time on it, but we don't. That suffering has meaning. When we gather around the table and we commemorate the crucifixion of our Lord, and sometimes we'll even talk about the atrocities that were brought against our Lord, the suffering that he experienced even before he was nailed to that tree. All of that comes home to us and and helps us, I hope, to, to be able to think about and put our own suffering and our own problems in perspective. See, if Jesus really did rise from the grave, it means that suffering has a new meaning. There is stability and constancy and faith in many people in the church who have grown th- gone through some severe suffering. I know of a lot of people over the course of my ministry who are members of the Lord's Kingdom for obvious reasons, and I've known some people who have have suffered terribly. I've I've heard some announcements that have been made from the pulpit about things that are going on in people's lives in a very personal way, where people are, there's no other word to use than suffering. And we bleed and we hurt and we cry with those people when those kinds of announcements are made. But but we can put it into perspective when we're children of God. And when we understand and know every day of our lives that Jesus Christ really was raised from the dead that Sunday morning, You see, none of us will escape suffering. That's a Bible fact. It's an undeniable fact. So the question isn't whether a human being is ever going to suffer in his life. Folks, the question is, how well will we do it? In what framework will we put our suffering? Will it make any sense to us? Do we have a perspective on it? The the, the people who who never come to believe that Jesus rose from the grave are going to suffer in their life just like everybody else, but, but what are they going to do with that suffering? I had a conversation with a brother in Christ just this past week in which he expressed that very sentiment. What do people in the world do when they're driving home from the graveyard? That's a good question, isn't it? How do you put that kind of loss in perspective? Well, if Jesus rose from the grave, we've got a framework for it. What are we going to do with human suffering? That's the question. Can we escape it? What will we do when we're sitting in the doctor's office and the doctor tells us we have cancer? What would we do when they call us in the middle of the night and we say, Unfortunately, I have to tell you that your husband or your wife was tragically killed in an automobile accident? What are we going to do when it's our parents who die? What are we going to are we going to curse and, and kick the chair and beat our fist into the wall? Well, there's people in the world that do that every single day. That's their only natural reaction to the suffering in their lives, the only way they know to deal with the grief. A lot of people that do exactly that. And even for a child of God, it still hurts. And Paul acknowledged that in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. We've talked about that before. But still, we've got a perspective on it. We've got a framework in which to put it. It hurts even when we, when we lose our job, much less someone that we love very much. It hurts to suffer. But again, the question is, what are we going to do with that suffering? You see, if Jesus rose from the grave, then we can begin to see the suffering as just an inevitable part of life for every one of us. As we walk through this life, we understand that the body was not intended to be permanent, the soul was not intended to be temporary, and that uh, this world is not my home, that we're going to suffer because we live in, in a world that's filled with sin. That's the bottom line. But every one of us who have that kind of faith, that Jesus was raised from the dead, know that what we experience in this life is the very worst that we will ever experience. But if I am not a believer, I have to acknowledge that what I'm experiencing in this life is the very best I will ever know. And I don't think I can live that way. In fact, I know I can't. I'm grateful for the hope and for the blessed assurance that knowing that Jesus walked out of the grave on Sunday morning gives to every single one of us. If Jesus rose from the grave, we began to see that suffering is, is an inevitability. And that's what happens. And it happens to, James says, in, in the opening verses of James chapter 1, it, it happens to build our perseverance, our endurance, and, and to make for our spiritual maturity, for one thing. There are other purposes, and that's another lesson. But, but God begins to work in a way that we don't see at the moment. Those of you who were here last Sunday morning, we talked about Ruth and Naomi. And I can guarantee you that for Naomi at least, God was working powerfully and providentially in her life while she did not know that at the moment. In fact, she insisted, as you'll recall that lesson, that her name be changed from Naomi, which means pleasant, to Mara, which means bitter. God has left me empty, was her assessment. But later on, she realized how powerfully and how lovingly and compassionately God had been working in her life. And folks, I'm just saying that that happens to every single one of us at some point in our lives. We don't see, we don't know how God is working behind the scenes in our lives at the present moment. I'm telling you this morning with faith born of inspiration that God is looking 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the road while we're just looking at the present painful moment, wondering how we're going to get through it. But God has a plan. God still works in our lives, not miraculously, but providentially. He is affecting people that are not even involved with him. And he's doing that powerfully and quietly and not always dramatically so that it will make the newspapers. But if Christ did rise from the grave, then suffering begins to take on a new perspective. And then there's the perhaps most important, the concept that there is life beyond the grave. If Jesus was raised... If Jesus rose from the grave, that means very simply that that the grave is not the end of our existence. It's just the end of our earthly existence. And that really does change everything. You talk about having a new perspective on life, that is a game changer. And it means that there is a robust and a positive certainty always characterizing us even when we're going through death. Even when we know that this is the last moment and the last breath that we will breathe on this planet, it means everything to know that Jesus walked out of that tomb and he's promised that all of us who follow him faithfully will likewise someday be raised never to die again. That's why we're here this morning. And that's why, if the Lord delays his return, we will be back here next Sunday morning because we gather as a group of people on a regular basis. To express our deep gratitude. And the word gratitude doesn't even begin to cover it, does it? Our gratitude for all that God has done for us. And how did he allowed his son to walk out of that tomb on Sunday morning? The apostle Paul even got to the point in his spiritual maturation where he could say, well, you know, to depart and be with Christ, you know the rest of it, don't you, is far better Paul knew what it was like to suffer. That was the last point. But he also knew that there was something beyond the grave. That's this point. And so he was able to say, to, be, to depart this life and to be with Christ is far better. H- how do we get that perspective? And, and not Bertrand Russell's r- perspective. Remember at the beginning of the lesson, brief and powerless is man's life. If Jesus Christ rose from the dead, then that means that death is just a fact of life. as certain as life itself but it is not the end. It means that we can walk right on through death. And when we do, we realize that we're going on to be with the Lord. In fact, that is far better there than to remain here on this earth. It means something is out there beyond the grave in the cemetery. And it means that there is that positive certainty that when a person in the Lord dies, that we can stand and with faith say, that person has just gone on to be with the Lord. I mentioned this a few months ago, but it's worth re-mentioning. We've had a lot of funerals at University Church in the last two years, and the surge, resurgence of that seems to have predated even the coronavirus. We were just having a lot of funerals because we are, by the way, going down the valley one by one. Each of us will meet that appointment. We understand that. It's a matter of fact. It's a matter of Bible certainty. But, man, it's different. It is so different. When we're going to the silent city and we're laying the body of a faithful Christian in the ground, isn't it? In in fact, it takes on the air of a celebration. When we can talk about the wonderful memories that that person has left and, most importantly, the legacy of faith and the example that they have set for us while they were on this life, and all the good that they've accomplished by their determination to serve others in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, well, that's easy for you to say when it's someone else's mom or dad, brother or sister, son or daughter who passes. No, I I say that about the faithful Christians in my own family. When I heard that my father had died some 14 years ago, my sister called me and gave me the sad news. My reply was this, and I quote, good for him because that's the difference that knowing that Jesus walked out of the tomb can make in a person's life you see I didn't lose my dad I know exactly where he is and some of you can say that about your own loved ones because they're faithful Christians who followed Christ and who believe the very things we're talking about this morning so we walk right through death and we know that it means that there's something beyond the grave of the cemetery Dear friends, what we've been talking about this morning is not an eternal gamble. We won't wait until we get to judgment day to see who's won and who's lost. There's something sure to hold on to. And that is, as we sometimes sing, victory in in Jesus. And, And the very death that we can come to make fun of. And you heard me right. If you've read 1 Corinthians 15 lately, you know that Paul... His writings take almost a a sarcastic tone as he's talking about death. Listen listen to this. Verses 55 through 57, we're almost through. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Let me me just say, without being disrespectful, that, that if that had been a college football game, Paul would have just been flagged for taunting because that's exactly what he's doing. He is taunting death. Oh grave, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. How can you thank God? Well hang on, I'll tell you. Thanks be to God for he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you, always give yourself fully to the Lord, to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So remember that. All of our work is, is not in vain when it is done in the name of Jesus Christ, and the grave is not the end. And fourth, we also understand if Jesus walked out of the tomb, that that means that judgment is certain. If Jesus Christ rose from the grave, it means that every human being will stand before him as the risen Savior and we will give an account of how we've lived our lives. 2 Corinthians 5.10, Romans 14.12, a number of other passages attest to that reality. If he rose from the dead, alive again, never to die again, it means that he really is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And if Jesus Christ rose from the grave, it means that he's more powerful even than death, that he is larger than time that he is, in fact, the Lord of the universe. It means he actually was there in the beginning to speak the universe and and everything that's in existence into existence by his divine fiat. It means that he was there when the sun, moon, and the stars were created and then scattered across the heavens. It means that we live by his rules in this universe and by no one else's. And it means that scientists are just are just discovering his rules. His rules, each time they come up with some new discovery in our space program, in medicine, or in nature. They are only discovering what God has put here in the first place. And we ought to praise God for that. And it also means that our lives, our lives are going to be judged on his terms. Not on our own personal preferences. In fact, Jesus says, the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge you in the last day. John chapter 12 and verse 48. And it means that because he rose from the dead, that each of us is going to stand before him as the risen Lord and give to him an account of how we've lived our lives. And I don't have to tell you that that is a very sobering reality. So the reason that we're God's people is not that we are living out our lives so perfectly In reality, I think that we are, as the church, a great deal like a hospital. We're all in various stages of being healed. Some have just started. Some of you have been in the healing process for 20 and 30, 40, 50 more years. Some have a sick marriage. Some are already divorced. But you know what? They're in the process of being healed too. Some are married, some are teenagers, some are university students, some are farmers, some are truckers. There are both men and women in this hospital, both black and white. We are a hospital and we are in various stages of being healed by the great physician himself. There's a deep and a deadly sickness loose on humanity and it tears people apart and it ultimately destroys them and it will wreck their, their, fa- their families and their homes and it works insidiously into a person and it destroys that person's values and their priorities. And, and it's really good news that this is the very sickness that Jesus Christ came to heal. And while the redemption, the forgiveness of sin is instantaneous, I don't have to tell any reasonable person in this audience this morning that the spiritual healing is a process that will take the rest of our natural lives. So we're all in some stage of being spiritually healed one way or another. Day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, he is healing us of the sickness of our sin. And I'm personally grateful for that. I've looked at the evidence. In fact, I have spent my entire life looking at the evidence. And I'm here to announce that the tomb really was empty. The linen clothes were still there, just as the text was read a moment ago. They were not lying with the napkin that was used to cover the face of our Lord, and that within itself has meaning, but that's another sermon. And he appeared, the Bible says, in 1 Corinthians 15 to more than 500 people after he walked out of that tomb. No wonder the Bible says that the other disciples, and I'm quoting now, saw and believed. Is that something that you can do this morning? Can you look at the evidence and say, as the Roman soldier did, truly this man was the son of God. If you can and will, I will assure you, it will change your life and it will change your eternal destiny. We'd be happy to baptize you into Christ this morning while we stand and while we sing. What oh,